chapter 23, and I want to talk to you about some sayings, last words, famous, famous last words, because famous last words are important. Now, I want you to know that everyone's going to have a last meal, I hope, right? I mean, you're going to eat before you die sometime, right? And, 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 and some of us, are, we're going to have a last statement. Now, I want you to know that when somebody's dying and they say something at the end, sometimes it, it really reveals what's really in their heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I know some people are heavily sedated, and what they say you just can't really rely on. Um, but there have been a lot of famous people that have had what's called famous last words. Karl Marx, he was the father of communism, he said, listen, I have nothing else to say. If you didn't all already say it all before, then you don't have a, a lot to say at, at your deathbed, something like that. Michael Jackson said, this is it. And that was supposed to be the name of his last tour. Little did he know that it was really it for him, unfortunately. Um, Hey, hey, Joan Crawford, when she was dying, she had a heart attack, and her housekeeper began to pray for her, and Joan Crawford said, don't you dare pray for me. Wow, could you imagine that? So many other people in history have said some really famous words before they died. So we want to look at what the Bible talks about, Jesus' last words. Why? Because it's really important, and secondly, because we're leading up to Easter. I am so, so excited about Easter. I love Easter. Easter is my favorite holiday of all. Now, I like Christmas because I get presents, but I like Easter because Easter is when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate whatever Jesus said came to pass. Come on, somebody. Jesus defeated death, and he gave us new life. So Easter is a, is a celebration. In fact, that's what we're going to call it, the celebration of Easter. And we want want you to invite as many people. I believe we're going to have record attendance in Easter. Why? Because we want to share the love of God. Easter symbolizes hope. Everybody say hope. hope. Easter symbolizes life. Everybody say life. life. Easter symbolizes joy. Amen. In the morning, there's joy. Everybody say in the morning, there's joy. But the most important thing that Easter symbolizes or Easter actually encapsulates is the person of Jesus Christ. How many of you love Jesus in this room? Come on, somebody. So we're going to celebrate Easter and we're going to do it big at Bethlehem Assembly of God. I think we got like five services and uh, we're going to make it big. And then the week after Easter, we're going to also have Daryl Strawberry coming to the church. And the reason why we want to do that is because we want you to invite your friends to Easter and then invite them back to hear an incredible story about Daryl Strawberry, who had everything he wanted. He had cars. He had women. He had fame. He had three World Series rings from the New York Yankees and one from the New York Mets. All right. We'll give you that one. Come on, somebody. And uh, he's going to come to share his story because along the way, he found that his life was empty. He was on drugs. He was, man, just going down the wrong road. And he gave his life to Jesus. And his life has been changed. And now he's going into prisons and he's helping marriages. Him and his wife are doing great ministry. You bring a friend out so that they can hear the great story of what God can do because of Easter. Somebody say amen. Amen. But this morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus' last famous word. I want you to turn in your Bible, if you're not already there, to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 
32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one at his right and one at his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Would you pray with me one last time? God, in the name of Jesus, I pray in this place that you would touch our hearts and that, Lord, The words that you uttered on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, will forever change our lives. Somebody's life is going to be changed this morning. I believe it and I receive it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Now, I want you to know that while Jesus is hanging on the cross, he actually utters seven powerful last sayings. Now, if you were the kind of person who wanted to be close to the cross, maybe you were, in, you were so in love with Jesus that you stood by him while he was dying, or maybe you were a Roman soldier, maybe you had the courage to get close to the cross or the responsibility to be by the cross, you would hear Jesus actually utter seven powerful statements. And leading up to Easter, we're going to look at each one of those statements because I believe that if you listen to them and you let them go deep into your heart, they will change your life forever. And so now I want you to actually, we're, we're, we, we have celebrated Easter, Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, right? And, uh, and, and, and we're blessed because we already know that Jesus rose from the dead. So we're on the other side of the cross. But I want for a few moments to rewind you back. I want to take you back to the Passover evening where Jesus is actually celebrating Passover with his disciples. And while he's celebrating Passover with his disciples, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And the Bible says that all of his disciples said, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And then Jesus says, the man who dips right now with me into this plate, he's the man that's going to betray me. And Judas dips with Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus looks at Judas and says, do what you have to do and do it quickly. But Jesus is celebrating the Passover and he lifts up the cup. And can you imagine for a moment, he's God. He knows the beginning of all things. He knows what's going to happen at the end. He knows that he's going to be hung on the cross. Can you imagine as he lifts up the cup, as he lifts up the bread, and he thinks to himself, in his mind, he begins to say, that's my body that's going to be broken on the, on the cross. That's my body that's going to be whipped and beaten. That's my body that's going to have nails in my hands and my feet. That's my body that's hanging on the cross. And I suppose that his mind goes to Isaiah chapter 53, where the Bible says that he had no beauty, that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53, not only was he despised and rejected by man, but the Bible says that he was pierced for our transgression. And the peace that came upon us was really something that happened through him giving himself on the cross. Isaiah 
Isaiah 53 is powerful. I mean, anyone that doesn't believe in the Bible, the accuracy, the credibility of the scriptures, the reliability of the scriptures, I want you to turn to Isaiah 53, read it for them, and say 500 plus years before Jesus ever came, it was predicted that one man would suffer for all the people so that we could have peace in our life. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ suffered on the cross so we could have peace with God? Come on, somebody. That should make you sing every single day of your life, just thinking about what Jesus did. And here he is. He lifts up the cup and lifts up the bread, and he, he, his mind goes to the cross. And now we are not in that upper room, but now we're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that while Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he begins to cry out to his father. And the Bible says he sweats like it is drops of blood. And he is stricken with this sense of fear for that moment. You might say Jesus never had fear. No, I don't believe that. I believe he was stricken in his humanness. He was stricken with fear. And he cries out to his father. And he says to his father, Father, if there's any way that this cup of suffering, if there's any way that this cup of pain, if there's any way that this cup of rejection, if there's any way that this cup of suffering can pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. I think Jesus is stricken with this, man, it's really going to happen. Now, we know that Jesus was fully God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. But we also know that he was also man. And in his humanness, he cries out to his Father, and his Father, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And I believe at that very moment, The angels of the Lord came and strengthened him. And at that moment, Jesus was determined. He's not looking back any longer. He's looking forward to the cross. He's looking forward to the resurrection. He's looking forward again to be seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. And he is resolute. I mean, he is determined to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And now we we find that Jesus is in the garden. Where is his disciples? They're asleep. Jesus tells his disciples, pray that you don't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then the Bible says that Judas leads a band of soldiers and Sanhedrin and high priests into the garden. Judas gives Jesus a kiss and he betrays Jesus. The Bible says that Peter takes out a sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the servants and Jesus gets some crazy glue, holy crazy glue and glues it back again, you know, looks pretty good. You might have a little scar right there, but it looks pretty good. And the Bible says that they say, where is this Jesus? And Jesus says, it is I. Now, this is a powerful thing. The, 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 the voice of authority, the voice of the great I am. You remember in the garden that Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am. Tell him that I am sent you. And how many times did Jesus say in the Gospels, I am, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. And he goes on and he says, at that moment they asked, where is Jesus? And he said, it is I, I am. And notice what happens. You think at that moment they'd come to their senses. The Bible says that the soldiers fell back because when he said, I am, there was so much power and authority and anointing that it pushed them back. Now you think they would go, wow, this dude, I'm not touching this guy. I'm bailing on this one, right? 
But they seize Jesus, and the Bible says they bring him to the high priest, and the high priest is asking him questions, and he, and, and he doesn't open his mouth. As the Bible says in Isaiah 53, that he was rejected, he was mocked, he was beaten, but he did not open his mouth. The Bible says like a sheep that is led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. And so they accuse him of blasphemy, and one of the priests smacks him in the face, and, and then they take him, and they turn him over to the Roman guards and the Roman soldiers, and all night long they taunt Jesus, and they beat Jesus, they put a crown of thorns on his head, and the blood starts to uh, spew out of his head and, and drip down his face, and they beat him, and they beat him with a, 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 a cat of nine tails, and, and they shred his back and you can't even you can't even recognize that he's Jesus any longer because man his face is all mangled his back is beaten so badly most men would have died right there but it was his will it was his determination it was his resolution that kept him alive because he knew that he had to go on the cross and die for your sins somebody say I thank God that Jesus died on the cross and he was resolute to die for me the Bible says then they took him and they brought him to the place that they call the skull. I can't wait. I am, I am so fired up. At the end of April, I'm leading 50 people to Israel. And we are going to walk where Jesus walked. I know it's going to be life-changing for all of us. They led him to the skull. And the Bible says that they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. And while he's hanging on the cross. Now you would think when somebody... Is, is, is dying when, when, when they're at the, 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 the place where they're going to give up their last breath, they would beg God to save them. They would beg God to rescue them. You know, there's a lot of rescue scriptures in the Bible, Scott. You know, uh, there's, there's scriptures in the Bible that talk about how when you pray to God, he's going to deliver you. I love Psalms 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty God. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my strength. And it goes on and it talks about the delivering power of God. I love, I love Psalms 27. The Lord is my light and my strength salvation. Whom shall I be afraid of? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. In whom shall I fear? And when I'm in that place of struggle, when I'm in that place of trial, when I'm in that place where I have been abused, when I'm in that place where I'm ready to die, I think that most of us would cry out to God and say, deliver me, God. But Jesus doesn't pray a prayer of deliverance. Notice that he doesn't pray a prayer for himself. I mean, listen, if I was mistreated and I was about to be executed, I would pray a prayer, something like this. Oh, God, this wasn't the this is what I, I, I didn't sign on for this, God. I wasn't thinking it was going to end like this, God. You know, I heard a lot of preachers talk about the prosperous life. I heard a lot of preachers talk about how God's going to protect me from this kind of stuff, God. Lord, when I went to the altar and I gave my life to the Lord, I thought I was going to be driving in a Mercedes Benz. I thought I was going to have a lot of money. I thought I was going to have a lot of fame and fortune. I thought I was going to be blessed, blessed, blessed. But here I am now and I'm ready to be executed for my faith. This is not what I bought into. I didn't sign the dotted line on the bottom for this persecution. But Jesus, instead of crying out and saying, God, deliver me, Jesus 
prays. But he prays a prayer. And if you really think about it, if you're at the foot of the cross and you hear the prayer of Jesus, it will blow your mind. Because his mind is not on himself at all. His mind is on God, his Father, and his mind is on you. I mean, he's thinking about you. I want to be honest with you. If I'm going to be executed, I'm, I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about me. I'm just being honest with you. But he's not thinking about himself at all. He's thinking about you. And so we want to we look at that prayer that he prays. The first thing we find Jesus doing when he's on the cross is he's not crying out for deliverance, but he's praying. He's praying. What do you do when you go through difficult times in your life? I know we want to cry. I know we want to call the pastor. I know we want to call anybody to help us. It's kind of like that man. I've told this joke before. If you've heard it, forgive me. I'm just running out of jokes. But it's like that, it's like that man who is hanging on the side of a, of, a, of, a, of a mountain. He was climbing up the mountain and he, he was secure, and he thought he was going to get up to the top of the mountain. And, but he slips, and he grabs a hold of the rope, and he's dangling on the side of the mountain. And he starts screaming out, somebody help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Nobody, nobody hears him. Finally, he hears a voice. It's from God. And God says, young man, I'm here to help you. Thank you, God. Okay, young man, listen exactly what I tell you, and I'm going to rescue you. He said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. He's dangling on the side, and God says, let go of the rope. He said, is there anybody else out there? <laughs> and when we're dangling on the side of a mountain, and we're wondering how God's going to rescue us, we cry out for for help, but so often we forget that God gave us the precious weapon of prayer. And that Jesus tells us to pray in those difficult times. He tells his disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, so pray. And I want to tell you that when you're up a, against a trial in your life, when you, when you can't understand why God is, is making you go through a difficult time in your life, that's the time that you need to pray. That you need to keep on praying. You need to keep on crying out to God. You need to keep on seeking God. You need to go into your prayer closet. Man, there have been times in my own personal life where I felt abandoned by everyone. I felt like, man, how am I going to get through this situation in my life? But I went into prayer. As Paul the Apostle says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. So he says anything. Anything means everything in your life that you go through. Don't let it grip you with fear. But he said, in every situation in your life, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, when you're being persecuted, when you've been hurt, when you've been wounded, when you have been rejected, when you have been mocked, when you're hanging on the cross, that's the time where you pray. As he said, be anxious about nothing, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding... Will 
will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, it's time to pray. Are you going through a difficult time in your life? It's time to pray. Are you going through a valley in your life? It's time to pray. Are you confused and you don't understand why God is allowing you to go through things in your life? It's time to pray because when you pray, the power of God comes and sustains you and gives you the courage to pray prayers that you can't pray in yourself. Not prayers of deliverance, but prayers of God. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Hallelujah. Jesus is praying. Jesus sets us the example. In the, the most difficult time of his life, he prays. Prays. But what, what's his prayer? Father, Father, forgive them. Father. So Jesus never loses sight of his relationship with his Father. And I want to tell you today, not only do you need to pray, but you need to remember that your Abba Father, your Daddy God, he has a plan for your life and it's your Abba Father, your Daddy God, he hears your cries. The Bible says the ears of the Lord are open to the cries of the righteous. His eyes are watching as the Bible says he runs to and fro seeking whom he may uphold. Those whose hearts are fully towards him. You have a father today. I know that's hard for some of you because when you think of father, you think of not there. I know that it's hard for you because some of you, when you think of father, you think of abuse. I know that for some of you, when I say father, you think of disappointment. But your heavenly father is not like your earthly father. Your, your heavenly father is perfect in all of his ways. That's why Jesus said when you pray, pray our father who art in heaven. He didn't say the first thing you should start out with in prayer is begging God, imploring God. Or even seeing your own sinfulness. He said the first thing you need to do is when you approach God, approach him as your Abba, as your Father God. And recognize, as the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, nothing shall separate you from the love of God, your Father, that is found in Christ Jesus. He said no situation, the darkest of all situations, death cannot separate you from the love of God, your Father, through Jesus Christ. Not even demons can separate you from the love of God. Not even your own sin can separate you from your heavenly Father's love for you. He's not an absentee landlord. He's not an absentee father. He's not an abusive father, but he's a perfect father. That's why Jesus said, you who are earthly fathers, you who are human beings, even though you're lovers of God, you're followers of God, you, you, you are limited in your ability to really love like the Father in heaven. But he said, when somebody asks you who are a father, an earthly father, or an earthly human being who loves God, you would give your son, if your son asked for a, 
a, a piece of bread, you wouldn't give him a stone. If he asked for a fish, you wouldn't give him a serpent. How much more will your heavenly Father give you whatever you need? I want you to know today that the grace of God is on your life. And because of that, you can go run into the presence of your daddy God. And he'll open his arms to you and say, I am here for you. That doesn't mean he's always going to deliver you from every difficult situation. Because let me tell you, sometimes God doesn't want you to go around the situation. Sometimes he wants you to go through the situation because he wants you to be a victorious overcomer in your life. He doesn't want you to run away. He wants you to run toward your fear. Why? Because when you run toward your fear, he's going to be right there to encourage you to pick up that stone and kill the giants in your life because that's your Abba Father. He's a victorious Father. He's a, an overcoming Father and he wants you to overcome in your life. He's your Abba Father, Daddy God. I want you to close your eyes right now and I want you to pray this simple prayer. My Father in heaven, holy is your name. Help me today to embrace you as my heavenly Abba. I struggle, Father, to believe that you're a perfect father. But today, break the lies and the chains that keep me from trusting you as my perfect father. In Jesus' name, amen. But Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. So he's not only thinking about his father and he's not only thinking about you, but he's thinking about forgiveness. That's the very reason why he went to the cross is so that we might be forgiven. And so he was, while he was on the cross, I mean, think about that for a moment. What would you do if you were on the cross? I'd pray for deliverance, but I probably wouldn't pray for forgiveness either. And he prays for forgiveness for you and I. Now, now I want you to know, when, when they think about Jesus praying for forgiveness while he's on the cross, that's, that's the hardest moment of his life. That's the most difficult time of his life. I mean, he had just been beaten. I mean, he had just been mocked, abused, spit upon. His wrists, his, his feet were nailed to the cross. I would say that Jesus had a pretty bad day, Scott. What would you do if somebody cut you off when you were driving? I'm not sure the first thing out of your mouth would be, forgive them for they know not what they do. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. It wouldn't be my first reaction either. Bless you. Jesus loves you. I don't. It's a good thing he does. <laughs> but you know, I, I recognize this week that if Jesus was in his, the most difficult moment of his life where he suffered the most abuse and the most pain and the most suffering in the darkest moments of his hour, Jesus is praying for you. And he's specifically praying for your forgiveness.
Now that Jesus is the resurrected Messiah, now that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, if he could pray for you in the most darkest moments of his life, can you imagine what he's doing for you right now? Woo! Everybody say, woo! The Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, and his job right now is to pray for you. To intercede for you. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus Christ. I mean, this blows my mind. That Jesus comes from heaven. And when he comes from heaven. And he's born in a manger. He's born as a man. That he never loses his divinity. And yet he takes on something that he never was before. He becomes the God-man. And the Bible says that today he remains the God-man. Even though he was glorified and he ascended to heaven. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. And he never lost his divinity. At the same time, he took on humanity. And today he's in heaven. And the Bible says he's your go-between between you and God. And every moment of your life... No no matter what you're going through in your life, no matter when you fail, no matter when you even reject him, as the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is between me and God. And what is he doing? Every moment of his day, every moment of my day, he's praying for Stephen Malazzo. Hallelujah. Just the knowledge that Jesus is praying for me should make me jump and, and scream and shout and say, thank you, Lord, that I should live a victorious life. Consider the healing consider the anointing consider the power the poder espanol in Jamaican the power man that, that should be in our lives today when we just recognize that the function of our high priest today that he's going to the Father for us all day long. I don't know how he does it. I, I can't deal with this congregation. <laughs> he deals with the whole world. But he ever liveth, the Bible says, to be the go-between, the mediator between me and God. And I fail God. And I repent. And immediately he goes to the Father and he says, forgive him, Father. I shed my blood for Steve Malazzo. Instantaneously, the Bible says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. And instantaneously, he cleanses me from all unrighteousness. By his stripes, I was healed. And so I get sick in my body. And Jesus says, you could pray anything in my name, and I go to my Father in my name, and whatever you pray in my name, it shall be done. Oh, Jesus, I'm stricken with sickness, Lord, but by your stripes I was healed. Father, oh God, I come in the name of Jesus. Jesus goes in his own name, and he shows the Father his stripes on his back. You know that he still has the scars in his hands. I don't know about the stripes, but I know he's got the scars in his hands. And he goes to the Father, and he says, Father, by my stripes they were healed. Hallelujah. So whatever you're going through in your life, whatever sickness, listen, it's not only 
physical sickness. It's emotional torment. It's emotional sickness. It's relational sickness. Even if you've got a marriage that's on the rocks, I want you to know there's a rock that cannot roll. Hallelujah. There's a Savior that loved you with all your heart and he went to the Father for you and he said, I love them and I died for that marriage. I died for that relationship. I died for that person so that they might live in victory relationally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Christian, rise up and bless the Lord Jesus Christ for your redemption is nigh. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. My Savior, my Lord, my Master is a redeeming God. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And forget not all of his benefits, who heals our diseases and forgives our sins. Like a father pities his children, so my father, he has pity on me, and he gives me mercy and grace. Hallelujah. In the time of need, I can go to the throne room of heaven and receive the mercy and strength and grace that I need because he cried out to his father. When he prayed, he had you on his mind. Jesus is crazy in love with you. There's nothing in the world that you can do to separate yourself from that love. But he prays, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I don't know about you. But when somebody hurts me, I don't say, Father, forgive them for they know that what they do. I say, Father, they knew exactly what they were doing. <laughs> they knew they were messing with me. And I'm the apple of your eye, Father. And I'm the head and I'm not the tail. And I'm blessed going in and blessed going out. And I'm a child of the living king and they touched me, the apple of your eye. And your Bible says vengeance is the Lord. And what I'm praying right now is vengeance. <laughs> and, and, and I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait until they come to their senses before I forgive them. And if they come groveling at my feet and they recognize what they did, I might throw them a bone and forgive them. But notice what Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they, they don't know what they're doing. I don't know about you, but I get mad. I get really mad when I, when I watched the crucifixion scene. When I was a kid, we used to watch this movie, The King of Kings. I'm so old, you can't even find it anymore. <laughs> we, we used to watch it like every good Friday, you know. I think my mother made me watch it, you know. I'm like, oh, please. And we watched the King of Kings. It was black and white, you know, and it was a Jesus, you know. He had, he had long blonde hair and blue eyes. I'm like, dude, he was, he was Middle Eastern. Come on, hello. <laughs> you know, Light-skinned, you know. And, 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 and he'd, he'd be on the cross, and he, he, he'd be breathing, and I'd like, I, I, I would like, I, every, I, every time I'd like jump off the couch, I'd like to go into the TV and just, just, just rescue him off the cross and, and beat up those Roman guards, you know, and, and say, shame on you. You know exactly what you're doing. He would get me so mad. 
So what did he mean when he said, forgive them for they know not what they do? I mean, they knew that they were beating him up. They knew they were mocking him. You know, I, I really believe that's so deep because I, I really believe what, when Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. He really wasn't saying, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing to me. What he was saying is, is forgive them because they don't know what they're doing to you. He wasn't even worried about his own reputation. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus did not consider equality with the Father something to be grasped. He wasn't concerned whether or not they would understand who he was. I mean, he didn't cry out and say, don't you know who I am? I'm God, and you're hanging me on the cross. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning, and the, I created you. Don't you know I can call heaven down right now and, and, and blast you all? No, he didn't do that at all. He wasn't concerned about them understanding that he was God Almighty at that moment. What he was, what he was really concerned about is Mankind sinning against a holy God. And, and the truth is, when somebody sins against me, I actually, there's two things that happen. Number one is, is I always think that I'm not such a bad person. Do you ever notice that? I mean, here's the bottom line. You really think you're not such a bad person. You do. Because if I were to ask you, are you a sinner? Some of you would say, well, I know I do bad things, but I'm not a murderer. <laughs> you know, I, I do bad things, but I'm not an adulteress. Uh -uh. I don't lie, I don't cheat, I don't steal, and I don't use the name of the Lord in vain. And then I would say to you, you need a counselor because you're in denial. Because, because Jesus said, if you want to do it, you've already done it. So, so if I, listen, there have been people in my life that I've just wanted them gone. <laughs> now, I'm not saying I want them to die a bad death. I'm just saying, like, I want them to, to disappear from the face of the earth. <laughs> now, I wouldn't tell them that. But man, there have been times when I wanted that. And Jesus said, if you want to do it, you've already done it. If a man lusts in his heart, it's already done. How many times do I use the name of the Lord in vain? You know, using the name of the Lord in vain is, is, is right there on the top of one of the worst things we can do. And so you think using the name of the Lord in vain means that I, I use the foul word in front of God's name. No, it's not. Using the name of the Lord in vain is hollow worship, is going through the motions not really understanding what God did for you when he died on the cross, taking it for granted, taking God's grace in your life for granted. Using the name of the Lord in vain is actually believing that you're better than somebody else and your sin is not as bad as somebody else's sin. So when somebody hurts me, I immediately begin to think, well, I'm not as bad as that other person. So what he did was, was really bad, and, 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 and I, I need to forgive him, and, 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 and he needs to come to me to ask for forgiveness because, you know, he needs my mercy. 
I'm reminded of the two men that were at the foot of the temple. One said, I thank God that I'm not like all those sinners. And the Bible says that Jesus looked right through his heart and saw it was so self-righteous and so cynical and so judgmental. And another one said, I can't even look up to heaven. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. You see, when you're stricken with an understanding that you're no better than anyone else and that your sin that you commit against God, no matter what it is, it deserves eternal punishment. If we could just peer into hell and we can see, if we can listen as people stand before God one day and they somehow try to get themselves into heaven based on their own good works, we would recognize that every one of us in this room deserve to be cast into the lake of fire, eternally damned, separated from God, because when we sin against the holy God, it demands a perfect payment. Nobody's perfect. Only God is perfect. Therefore, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he wasn't dying for your neighbor alone. He was dying for you. And when we're stricken with that understanding that we are sinners, when somebody sins against us, the first thing that comes to our mind is what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Pray like this, Father, forgive me of my sins and trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. For if you don't forgive those who trespass against you, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. And so when I'm stricken with this sense of understanding that I need the mercy of God, I'm quick to give mercy. Jesus said it this way, if you've been forgiven little, you'll love little. If you've been forgiven much, you'll love much. I'm reminded of the story as the worship team comes of the story of a woman who comes to a Pharisee's house while Jesus was hanging out having a roast con pollo, oxtail, and curry goat, and pasta fazul, and some matzah fazul. And, and the Bible says that while Jesus was talking, this woman came behind him and broke an expensive jar of perfume and began to pour it all over Jesus. And one of the disciples said, what a waste of money. This could have been sold and given to the poor. He had no mind of really giving it to the poor. And Jesus said, from the moment that I came into this place, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't even give me a kiss hello. You disrespected me from the moment that I walked in the door. But this woman... From the moment that she saw me, she has extravagantly poured everything she had worship on me because she recognizes that she's been forgiven much. He wasn't really talking to her. He was talking to everyone who believes that they're not as bad as someone else and they don't need forgiveness like the other person. But you see, when we recognize that we need forgiveness and mercy. When we recognize how much mercy God gave us, how much grace God gave us, 
how much he poured it upon us, we will be quick to forgive others. But see, even deeper than that is when we're stricken with this understanding that when someone hurts us, they're really sinning against God. And one day, they're going to have to give an account for the pain and suffering that they subjected someone to. And if we have the heart of Jesus, we will be stricken with this sense of, oh God, please, please God, don't pour out your judgment and wrath upon my husband. Don't pour out your judgment and wrath upon my wife. Don't pour out your wrath and judgment on somebody that hurt me. That's why Jesus said, pray for your enemies. But instead, Lord, Father, forgive them because none of us could ever understand the depth of your holiness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do because none of us can ever understand the depth of your holiness and the great grace that you pour on all of our lives. None of us could understand the price that was paid and none of us could understand the judgment that will be incurred upon someone who sinned against you. And so our natural reaction is, is, oh God, they've hurt me. But more than me, they've hurt you. And so I pray for them that you will restore them because one day they're going to stand before you in heaven and have to give an account for their sin. Would you bow your heads right now? Would you close your eyes for a moment? So I believe that some of you in this room have been hurt. You've been hurt so bad. And the pain goes so deep. And you say, God, I don't, I don't even know where to start when it comes to forgiving somebody that hurt me. How do I really forgive somebody that hurt me? Well, first you recognize that you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner. And that whatever we have done to God deserves eternal separation from God, eternal judgment and punishment. But God, in his love for you, reached out his hand to you while you were spitting in his son's face, while you were placing a crown of thorns on his head, while you were nailing his hands and his feet to the cross. His son was praying for you, Father, forgive them, for they know not the depth of your judgment and the depth of your love. Because if they did, they would respond. You would recognize that God is saying to you the same measure that you give to others, he'll measure back to you. And so you're here today, every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, Pastor Steve, before we go any further, my heart has been stricken with a sense that I need a Savior. I need God to come and forgive me of my sins. I'm not sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. And today, I need to surrender my life to God. Your father right now is in this place and he wants to give you eternal life. He wants to bring peace into your life. You say, Pastor, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to drugs. I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to myself. I'm addicted to sin and I need somebody to set me free. When Jesus hung on that cross and he prayed that prayer, he was thinking about your freedom. 
your freedom. You can be free today. But it's up to you to respond today and say, yes, Lord, take control of my life. And so you're here today. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain that if I die today, I'd go to heaven. I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I want you to raise your hands quickly right now in this place. Say, yes, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus all across this place today. Pray for me. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, 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 yes. Others that are here today, you say, Pastor, pray for me today. I want you all to stand to your feet right now. And we're going to pray this simple prayer. I'm going to ask Christ to make it real in our heart, the depth of his love for us when he died on that cross. He died so you could be forgiven. And when we finish the service today and we dismiss people, listen, if you raise your hand today, look at me, if you raise your hand today, you might, you might be a person that's been coming to the church for years, but you still felt like you needed to raise your hand. I'm telling you today that we've got some counselors that want to pray for you. They want to give you some information. They want, to, they want to counsel you through this because some of you, you're Christians, but you struggle with guilt and condemnation. When I ask that question, you raise your hand, not because you're not a Christian, but because you can't truly understand the grace of God in your life. And something is still holding on to you. And the counselors want to pray for you today that you would be set free from the guilt and shame of whatever's going on in your life so that you can live a victorious life. So if you raise your hand, I'm going to encourage you right after the service, when everybody's leaving, when everybody's going that way, I want you to come this way. And these counselors want to pray for you. Before I go any further today, maybe you're in this room today. I got up this morning really early and the Holy Spirit told me, he said, somebody's life is going to be changed forever this morning. And I knew exactly what he was saying. The Holy Spirit was saying, somebody in this room is going to forgive somebody that hurt them really bad. And you've been struggling with bitterness and unforgiveness. You've been struggling with a sense of guilt over your own bitterness in your life because you can't let go. But today, God's going to set you free. Because now you understand the power of those words. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you're willing to embrace that prayer in your own life and say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to receive deliverance from the bitterness and hurt and pain in my life. I'm willing to come to the foot of the cross and I'm willing to leave it there because if you were willing to pray for me, when I was spitting in your face, when I was mocking you, I'm willing to pray for my enemy. I'm willing to let it go. I want to pray for you right now. If that's you today, and you know that you need to let go of something, I want you to raise both hands right now. I want to pray for you right now. All over this place, the Holy Spirit is at work. All over this place, the Holy Spirit is at work. Oh God, come on, let's just begin to pray right now in the name of Jesus. Oh God. Let your Holy Spirit come right now. Let your Holy Spirit come and bring deliverance. Bring power, Lord Jesus. Lord, as we begin to worship you, Lord God. Father, I pray for the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come. And begin to set your children free from hurt. Begin to set them free from bitterness. 
forgive, begin to set them free from unforgiveness, Lord. Let the chains be broken over their life right now. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. We thank you, God.